Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. I want to present the opening segment of the show today where I had a bit of an epiphany and, and, a, and an apology tied into one to kick things off. But then we got into Alex Marlowe's latest piece on Breitbart.com. Of course, Alex, the editor-in-chief. And he's got his new book coming out in just 12 days. Cannot wait for that. It's called Breaking Biden. And wrote a brilliant perspective-changing editorial on Breitbart.com that we discuss here. All right, so I was very wrong about something. So I would like to ask permission if I'm, if I'm allowed to join the party that you've been in for a long time. And I'll, I'll accept, well, listen, I'm joining your party, so feel free to shower as much criticism as you, as you think is appropriate. Who am, I, who am I to say what's, what's appropriate or not? So this border situation right now, it's hit a new level. And these are arbitrary levels, sure. But it's hit a new level. And I think a new threshold of people in our country will say, hold on, this is a, this is a problem and this is an invasion. The Washington Post tweeted out just a few hours ago, just a few hours ago, in the middle of the night, that the Biden administration said it will offer temporary legal status. Oh, interesting. To half a million, half a million Venezuelan migrants, that would be illegal immigrants, who are living in the United States. Quote, shielding them from deportation and speeding up their process for getting work permits. Okay, it's just happened. I think a new threshold of people are going to say this is bad, this is a problem, and this is an invasion. I've never used the word invasion. And I say this, and if you have been using this word for a long time to describe what's going on, you're probably going to be very disappointed in me. You're going to be like, oh, wow, he's, he used to like Slater. I, I thought he understood. I thought he got it. And he doesn't. He doesn't get it. So I risk making you upset, but I'm going to say this because I, I, I hope that there are other people who have been hesitant to use that word as well that I can, I can we can go with, like the, the two of us can go, join you where you have been. I want to invite other, I, I know I'm new to the party that you've been at and I want to invite other people too because you're right. I've never used the word invasion to describe what's happening at our border because invasion to me implies coordination from the people who are doing the invading as opposed to if a million people from around the world all have the same idea, they just happen to have the same idea of coming to the United States, which people have always wanted to do, 
I never saw that as an invasion. But then we did the story yesterday of Colombia planning to send one million Colombians to America next year. Breitbart wrote this story. And, when it, and it used the word 2024 in it. And I don't, I don't know if it like didn't click that that's next year to me or like, like I, I don't, it didn't click at first. Like, oh, that's, that's next year. Wait, what do you mean next year? Wait, what do you mean they're, they're planning on sending? What do you mean they're planning on sending next year? Next year? Like, I gotta, like it doesn't, and, then, and it wasn't, it wasn't even, well, if things continue at this rate, there'll be a million next year. It was, we're going to send a million people to America next year. And that's when it really hit me, what else could this be? Now, I know the Colombian army isn't coming our way, right? Again, to the the word of invasion. like Invasion also implies like a military action. So, yes, the Colombian army isn't coming our way. But we're told that next year, one million Colombian army-aged men <laughs> are coming our way. So... And that's not even right. Like you can be invaded, not necessarily by an army. So that's not. I also thought that an invasion had to be coordinated from an external source. That makes sense, right? You're being invaded. So the, the, they're out and now they're coming in. So the coordination has to come from out. But no, no. It can be coordinated and allowed from within. And clearly that's what's going on. So uh, there's a long way of saying I'm, I'm now on the invasion bandwagon. I've been wrong about the border a long, long time ago. When I first started into politics, I, I, was much, I took much more of the libertarian approach to a lot of things and was wrong on all those things. <laughs> By the way, wrong. I took the libertarian approach on marijuana legalization. I took the libertarian approach to marriage. Oh boy, was I wrong on that one. Uh, I took the libertarian approach to uh, free trade and I took the libertarian approach to the border. And I was wrong on all those. So years ago, I concluded that the, uh, I was wrong about the border when it came to libertarian, but, but I, and I knew it was bad. I knew what was going on at the border it was bad and wrong and all that. I was against it all, of course. But I'm new to the invasion bandwagon. And I know you've been there for a long time, so I'd like to be welcomed into that, that that group. This is an invasion. Alex Marlowe. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's talk about the person who's leading leading this, who's who's the source of this. I shouldn't say the source, because again, people have wanted to come to America for a long time. That's not new. But maybe the source of the full-blown, unprecedented record invasion. And that, of course, is our current president. Alex Marlowe, our editor-in-chief, of course. Please go to Breitbart.com and, and read uh, his latest editorial about Joe Biden. We only got 12 days until his new book comes out, Breaking Biden. 1,600 endnotes, 1,600 endnotes in this book. Alex is not messing around with the facts that are in this book. It's called Breaking Biden. It's available available for pre-order right now, and you'll get it right when it comes out. 
We talk to Alex every Friday to wrap up the week. I talk to Alex all the time, but we here talk to Alex every Friday. Next week, we're going to talk to Alex. We're going to get him up earlier in the morning so we can talk at different hours so everyone who listens uh, can, can get Alex throughout the day. But he wrote an editorial yesterday on Breitbart.com, and his plea is to stop thinking of Joe, as I have fallen for in the past as well, as a bumbling, gaff-ridden uncle who just keeps stepping on rakes and, oh, look at him, look at him, look at Joe. <laughs> oh, Joe, you know, the guy likes ice cream. You know what I mean? He's just like a, he's like a, like a Labrador retriever. No, no, Joe's not your goofy uncle. He is corrupt. He is a liar. He is, and you're not supposed to say stuff like this, a bad person. Maybe that's too far for you. I don't know. The Clarence Thomas autobiography, which I just realized got burned up. I don't have it. I have not reordered that one. Um, He talks about Joe Biden as the head of the Judiciary Committee and how Joe, on, on two occasions I remember, lied to Clarence Thomas's face in, per, like in private, in his office, said we're going to do one thing and then did another. Lied to Clarence Thomas's face. So Clarence Thomas has very choice words for Joe Biden. And it definitely falls in the category of bad person. So here's Alex. He says we've gotten Joe all wrong. He's not sleepy Joe doddering in his basement. He's not merely a puppet of shadowy and nefarious oligarchs. He's a man of singular power who only ascended to that stratum through a lifetime's dogged pursuit of a goal to be president of the United States. It's such a good point. You don't fall up to be president. There's, there's, more, there's more to you. Yes, Joe Biden has wanted to be the leader of the free world since he was a boy. As wacky as it might sound today, he also dreamt of a political dynasty like the Kennedys to call his own. I cannot wait to read more about that in the book. That is such an interesting angle to the life of Joe Biden that I look forward to getting more detail on. We have such a strange relationship. If I may, and I'll get back to Alex in a second. We have such a strange relationship in this country with ambition. And rightfully so. It's a very tricky, tricky, de- <laughs> is it a virtue? In, in the ancient world, ambition was a vice. It was pride. Not good. You don't want ambition. We have turned it into a virtue. Our American culture has really embraced ambition as a virtue, the ambition to do great things. But man, it's easy to deceive yourself if that's your goal. It depends what your ambition's about, I suppose. John Adams said in 1777, he said, ambition in a republic is a great virtue for it's nothing more than a desire to serve the public and to promote the happiness of the people, to increase the wealth and the grandeur and the prosperity of the community. Ambition is but another name for public virtue and public spirit. You can be a wicked person and do wicked things for wicked reasons and tell yourself, oh, I'm just serving the public. You can be a terrible person and excuse it all away 
by saying, oh, it's done in the service of the public. That's the best, the best that ambition can be is a desire to serve the public and promote the happiness of the people and increase the wealth and grandeur and prosperity of the community. <laughs> that was John Adams. But our founders also knew that ambition could be a very bad thing. That's why James Madison wrote the Constitution the way he did. He said that the Constitution and a constitutional republic causes ambition to counteract ambition. So they knew that ambition could go screwy. But he also recognized that you can't, you're never going to have people in government that don't have it. That's why I never, I never really, nah, I don't want to get too off topic. I was going to talk about George Washington. A lot, a lot of people are like, oh, the reluctant leader of George Washington. It's like, mm, I, think he wanted, I think he wanted it. But it was good. And then he gave it back. So you knew he did it for the right reason. But John, James Madison and these guys, our founders knew that for the most part, you were only going to have people rise to this level who were ambitious. So the only thing you could do is make a system where other people's ambition would counteract other people's ambition. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. We needed to, we needed to pit people's ambition against each other to tamp it down. It's in Federalist 51. So ambition's not, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Ambition's not a virtue, it's not a vice, it's, it's about ambition for what? So Joe Biden wanted his family to be a, a, an American Kennedy-like dynasty. That seems like a vice. <laughs> and here's why, and then we'll get back to Alex here. Here's where personal ambition goes wrong. And this perhaps fits the Biden. Ambition is bad when ambition comes from external sources. So there's a difference between I have ambition to make a ton of money. We'll stop there. I have ambition to make a ton of money because then you'll do whatever it takes to get the money. The ends justify the means. We've talked before how wicked of a sentence that is. Even if you say I have ambition to make a ton of money by inventing something, even that's not quite right. I think your ambition has to be something like, I have ambition to create a way for people to see in the dark. Now, both of those may lead to the invention of the light bulb, but I think that second one is much safer of a place to be. I think, I think that's your virtue. Is I'm, I'm going to create something that people can flick a switch and they can, like, a, a, they can see. <laughs> it's a much better place to be than, I'm gonna, I want to get rich. Or I want to be powerful. I want people to praise me. I want people to love me. It's like, ooh, you're going to go wrong on that one. That's not going to work. And the truth is, if you want to go further, the, the real question is, are you trying to please God or are you trying to please man? And that's how you really know. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first, first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's an ambition that is good. But Biden's has always been about power. Alex says the presidency... First coveting it, then living it, coveting it, coveting the presidency, has defined his life. Yet much of the country has acted in recent years as though he simply lucked into it as the last man standing. That denies something that many of us already believe to be true in our guts. Joe Biden is a unique threat to America as we know it. Maybe the fact that he was vice president ties into that a little bit too. Like, uh, like, like, I think people knew Obama as a threat to America and, and as the way we know it. Uh, 
identified mostly by his line, we're going to fundamentally transform America. That would be, that's a, that was a key line. And then Joe was just his bumbling sidekick, like Robin to Batman, right? So we're like, oh, well, like he's just, he's like the sidekick guy, like whatever. And they're gone. Now the sidekick's in charge. Yeah, no, the sidekick's always wanted to be. <laughs> he's always wanted to be in charge. He's always had the ambition. And Alex says Joe Biden is a unique threat to America as we know. Oh, let me play this before I forget here. This is uh, Larry Kudlow on Fox Business yesterday. Point. Um, it's very interesting uh, editorial uh, on Breitbart which is a great news site. Um, the editor, Marlowe, is saying, you know, with respect to Joe Biden, that we should switch gears. We shouldn't be so obsessed with um, his age or his infirmity, okay, or even his gaps. What we should be focusing on is the Biden corruption and the Biden yeah. policy mistakes. The Bi you know, we have another Republican debate uh, coming up. I know former President Trump won't be there, but a lot of strong, you know, smart conservatives are going to be in that debate. I don't think, and I think, I think Marlo is right. It's, it's not age. It's A, uh, the failure of Bidenomics and the rest of his policies, and B, the corruption. Yeah. That's where the GOP should aim its fire. Yeah. Yeah, so classic Alex, changing the conversation. It's beautiful. So in this article, I'll take it's on Breitbart.com. And on the books coming out in a couple of days. Uh, but in the article, it goes through some Biden failures, not just bad policy, straight failures, terrible things that have hurt America from the Afghanistan withdrawal. Of course, here's Alex. He bears per, uh, personal responsibility for the war in Ukraine, the dying movie business. I look forward to reading about that one. Record illegal immigration, record energy prices, shortages of cancer drugs. That one's interesting. Because Joe Biden was the guy who was, he's the cancer czar. He's the guy who's supposed to cure cancer. <laughs> that caused a shortage of cancer drugs. I look forward to reading about that as well. Breaking Biden again. It's available for pre-order right now. Joe does have a vast Rolodex that he's developed over 50 years in Washington. This includes a network of billionaires, some of whom will be unfamiliar to you, who bankroll his grassroots. You'll meet many of them in Breaking Biden. All of them ought to be exposed for who they are and what they've done, but the buck stops with Joe. Americans have always underestimated Joe Biden, conservatives in particular, and we've done so at our own peril. He was lousy in school and got busted plagiarizing multiple times. His absent-mindedness is legendary, and his stumbles and bumbles instantly go viral online, giving his haters many uh, a self-satisfying laugh. And yet, he's in the White House. They are in the White House. And they may be there for quite some time. Unless, of course, the right figures out how to break Joe Biden. I think it's clear by this point that declaring him old and stupid ain't going to cut it. How to reverse the damage he's done goes beyond the scope of this column, but it starts with taking ownership of the situation. We must reset the narrative and renew our responsibility to share the full picture of who Joe Biden is and what he has wrought. If we don't, things are likely to get much, much worse. By the way, I just played that Kudlow clip from 
uh, Breitbart.com. And on the right-hand side on the column is the headline, Nine-Time Deported Illegal Alien Accused of Murdering Roommate Shooting Police Officer. Nine times. Nine times. What? Nine times. Who in the world? Stuff like that. It's got to stop. And and I, I wonder if, well, again, a second ago, it's breaking news. The Biden administration is going to offer temporary legal status to a half a million Venezuelan migrants, shielding them from deportation and speeding up their process for getting work permits, which is eventually voting and citizenship and the full thing. I wonder, wonder how Trump's going to do in New York and Illinois. I wonder if this, if the border itself, if nothing else, has hit a new threshold. Maybe we can stop looking at Joe Biden as a bumbling fool and look at him as much more than that. Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. I want to go right to Congressman Ben Klein from Virginia. He's on the Judiciary Committee talking about the Mayor Garland here. And just before we get going, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't mention this before. I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to misframe. I don't want to bias how you're going to interpret this interview. But I am so frustrated at these guys. And Ben Klein's good guys. He's on. He's on our team doing the fight. But these Republicans, like guys, get it together. Hurry up. What, and this is my nature too. I don't care much for process. Like I just want, I want to just like do it. Like hurry up. I'm not very patient with stuff like this. So I get very, very frustrated. And maybe that's wrong, but come on guys. Do you sense that? Do you feel that as well? Now, if, if you do, and that being said, what do you make of Congressman Ben Klein? Here he is. Hey, Congressman, how are you, sir? Good to talk to you again. Well, it's good to talk to you, Mike. It's uh, good to finally get some conversation instead of a bunch of questions with a bunch of stonewalling and non-answers like we did yesterday. Yeah, totally. Well, that's, uh, that's what's to be expected, though, right? I mean, that's, that's what these things tend to always be, and it's very frustrating. So let's go back to the beginning, though. Why invite him to come? What, what was the genesis of all this? Well, the Judiciary Committee has oversight over the Department of Justice, and we've seen a weaponized department over the past several years a different standard applied to uh, Joe Biden and his family as opposed to former President Trump and conservatives, whether they're trying to express their religious views as Catholics, whether they're trying to express their views at school board meetings in Northern Virginia. Uh, you have a whole host of examples where this DOJ is uh, really, really establishing a, a double tiered system of justice. When Republicans ask him these questions, though. What, what does he have to say, right? Are they, of course, they're just going to be like, no, 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 no. And that's the end of it. That's pretty frustrating for you, right? Well, it is. And, and when he tries to claim that uh, it's part of an ongoing investigation, yeah. even though him talking about 
establishing, setting up Weiss as uh, the special counsel is not uh, speaking to an internal investigation. You can talk about uh, the process by which you uh, selected Weiss. You can talk about who uh, was discussed with, who Weiss talked to before he asked to be uh, designated as special counsel. Uh, these are questions that he could answer if he wanted to, uh, but he hid behind the idea that this is an ongoing investigation. Yep. I hate when school board, schools do that too, right? Something horrific will happen in a school and you ask a question like, oh, what happened? Oh, can't talk about it. Internal, internal. And you're like, well, come on. Like, what do, like, you need to talk about this kind of stuff. So he kept saying over and over that the, the Department of Justice has nothing to do with the Hunter Biden investigation. Do you believe him? Right. Um, and, and that's just laughable on, on its face. And, and uh, the idea that he couldn't even remember whether he had conversations with the FBI about the investigation really goes to show that uh, he was caught off guard in the beginning before he established his footing. You know, I've got uh, twin daughters and, and uh, when they won't answer a question, uh, you know, we, we've got to pin them down. And their allowance is one way that we pin them down on things. And so I'm also on the Appropriations Committee, on the Justice Appropriations Subcommittee. And so we're looking at the power of the purse to try and make sure that we get the answers we're demanding, we get the information we're demanding, and that they comply with the subpoenas that we're issuing. Yeah, let me play that moment, and then we'll talk more about that, uh, that budget thing. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh I don't, I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, Congressman, that's not a, it's not a great answer. <laughs> I think you'd like a redo on that one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that's that's why you put uh, superstars like Mike Johnson from Louisiana first, because uh, they are going to catch him off guard. They're going to make sure he doesn't get his footing right off the bat and answers a little more honestly uh, than he did later. And, uh, you know, it, it all went downhill from there. Well, what's the suggestion that the Republicans are making with Merrick Garland? Well, we are uh, suggesting that he is not the nonpartisan actor, the above it all uh, attorney general that he strives to be. He said in his statement, I'm not the president's lawyer. I'm not Congress's lawyer. I'm, I'm not a defense attorney. I'm not a prosecutor. Uh, well, you're also not uh, removed from the process when you involve yourself at the beginning. And the selection of Weiss was purely political purely a partisan move, and we want to know exactly who he talked to and who Weiss talked to and whether that involved the White House. Uh, explain us who this Weiss character is and what's the problem with him. Well, the special counsel who was the, uh, well, is the U.S. attorney out of Delaware who was elevated uh, after the whistleblowers came forward to investigate Hunter Biden and uh, the sale of access uh, and all of the other whether it's the sale of art to people who were eventually appointed by Joe Biden to uh, commissions, uh, you know, the, the sale of access to then Vice President Biden. Uh, you also have the questions of allowing certain charges, certain tax-related offenses to expire when it comes to the, uh, the statute of limitations on the charges. Uh, a lot of questions that 
we have on the Judiciary Committee, on the Weaponization Committee as well, that Jim Jordan is chairing. And we really want answers. And now that we have an impeachment inquiry proceeding, um, the subpoenas have additional authority and they uh, should be able to get a little more information about the bank records and other information that we need to uh, finally tell the whole story here. I want to talk about the subpoenas in a second, but you mentioned the art stuff. How we did a segment on this a while back. How can the art world? So just so everyone knows, Hunter Biden, apparently, this amazing artist who sold hit hit a prop like a proper art show where people went and bought art from this like the no name guy or like like a famed artist, and it's like it's so obviously is corrupt. But how does the art world get this guise of secrecy where the 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 art dealer guys like you know what I can't. Just can't say, and everyone's like, "Oh, okay, well, he can't say." Everyone, like, what, 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 what kind of protection does the art sale world have that no one else has? What's the deal with that? The idea that Hunter Biden, with no art training at all, can slap some paint on a canvas and sell it for uh, tens of thousands of dollars—you know, my my kids are artists, but they're not going to get that much for their uh, their their work with. Uh, uh, paint and uh, but somehow Hunter Biden does and I, they I guess they uh, think that oh if they don't reveal the names of the buyers that somehow Hunter won't find out and then it won't influence the the uh, president's son but eventually it comes out and and it just so happens that one of the buyers. Uh, is a, a wealthy Democrat, and that Democrat just happened to be appointed by the president to a commission um, on historical preservation, a very prestigious national commission. So uh, the exact issue that they wanted to avoid was, or they claimed they wanted to avoid, was the exact um, problem that happened, and we've got questions about that as well. Can What can be done to get to the bottom of that? Like how, what does the judiciary well, do? Well, as, as, as we said, you know, we're going to follow the facts wherever they lead in judiciary, and that's part of the impeachment process. Uh, your subpoenas have additional weight. They carry additional weight. They, uh, the, there's more compliance with these subpoenas now that this has been established. So we anticipate getting the information we want uh, about internal deliberations at the White House about the appointment of this woman about whether there was any mention of the, the art sale. And, uh, and that also goes to uh, the, the actions that were taken by the vice president, the meetings that he was in when he was vice president uh, with his son, the phone calls that he was on, the bank records that he had at the time. Um, there are a lot of holes that need to be filled uh, when it comes to that information. So we're not all lawyers. What is a subpoena exactly? Well, it's a document issued by um, an entity like the Judiciary Committee, uh, and it is a request for information, essentially a legal request for information. And the person or department that receives that subpoena, it is carries with it legal weight. So compliance with that subpoena is uh, enforced by the courts. And if you are found uh, 
essentially to be ignoring that subpoena, you can be found in contempt of Congress, which Congress votes to hold you in contempt. Uh, then the Justice Department can charge you with that contempt and actually uh, it can carry criminal penalties. Okay, but, the, but this Department of Justice would have to charge someone with that. So you, you so, okay, so you do a subpoena. I just want to make sure I get the order of operation right. So you guys say, subpoena, we want the document. And they say, no. You say, okay, contempt of Congress. But then the next step is the Department of Justice would have to come in and be like, we're going to charge you with contempt of Congress. Is that how that goes? That That is uh, and has happened on multiple occasions. I've also just yesterday introduced a bill that uh, would deny any federal employee their paycheck if they are uh, convicted of contempt of Congress. Essentially, uh, you're, you're done. If you're not complying with the subpoenas, you're not going to get paid. How often has this Congress declared anyone contempt of Congress? It, it is rare it, it, because usually it is a black mark on your career um, and the threat of contempt has been enough, whether it's Blinken and our Foreign Affairs Committee, Mike McCall has demanded information from him. Uh, we have demanded information from uh, the FTC chair, uh, and we've demanded information from the Department of Justice and gotten some, but not all. Uh, and so we do use the threat of a subpoena to actually get the documents that we want eventually. Interesting. I would almost think that being a contempt of Congress would be a source of pride for some. They would they would want <laughs> that label, you know? So And also, what do you do if you're like, hey, I want this document. I got a subpoena for this document. And they're like, I don't have it. No well, back, you remember in the day, Eric Holder, the former attorney general, was uh, under Obama, was held in contempt by Congress for Fast and Furious. That was not, uh, unfortunately, the DOJ did not enforce that and his his DOJ. But uh, yeah, but sure. in other instances, it has been enforced and, and other individuals have been found in contempt and, and pursued through the Justice Department. So it was just, just to say, show all this. If you ever held Merrick Garland in contempt of Congress, his DOJ would have to prosecute himself. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it, it shows <laughs> that when you have a weaponized DOJ, it really does make it harder to, uh, to implement your goals. And that's why we really do have to clean house there. And the power of the purse is just as effective as a, as a subpoena or contempt citation would be uh, to get the information you need. Talking to Congressman Ben Klein uh, from Virginia. So our very own Emma Jo Morris, who is the reporter behind the Hunter Biden laptop in the first place, she was on recently. She made the point that this is should not be Hunter Biden. It's not Hunter Biden did X. It's Joe Biden used Hunter Biden to do X, to whatever the rest of that sentence is, like, like uh, take bribes from foreign adversaries or whatever that is. Do you find that formulation to be uh, better as well? Um, I do. I very rarely mention Hunter without putting it in the context of uh, the, the Biden family. And it's, and it's a family business. It's about access. It's very mob-like. It's, it's, uh, um, he wants his cut. He wants his piece. You have Hunter's texts saying, uh, frustrated that he has to give half his salary to Pops. 
uh, instead of the big guy who he, who he has been referred to in other uh, texts and emails. Uh, there's no question, you know, while there may have been a question or still may be a question about the big guy, and we have to get to the bottom of that by having access to the president's bank records during his time as vice president, uh, calling him pops is a little bit more direct. Yeah. What if you, Congressman Ben Klein, you had one document that you could see, you just magically, you get the one thing, boom, you could look at it right now. What's the one thing that you would want to see? Well, we need our, uh, the bank records for the LLCs, you know, the, the businesses that were created by the Biden family members. And there are uh, over a dozen of them that accepted this, these payments from these uh, businesses affiliated with foreign adversaries, China, uh, the, the wife of the mayor of Moscow to Hunter. Uh, once these payments are made, what happens to the money? And so we need to go behind the, the wall of this, uh, these LLCs to find where the money went after that, whose bank accounts the money ended up in. So when you subpoena, I hear about these bank records. What does that process look like? Do you just go to Bank of America or whatever? And you're like, hey, we need all these. And what does Bank of America say? Okay, we'll send it to you in five minutes. Or is, oh, we're going to need eight months to pull all those together. How does that process work? You you try and set out. That's that's the gist of it. But you just like in any small prosecution at the local level, when you have a, a county prosecutor, uh, it, it doesn't have to be bribery. It can just be check fraud. It can be, you know, you need to subpoena those records from the bank and the bank uh, has them and and sends official copies and uh, and and that does take a little while, but hopefully it doesn't. In this case, they can put it to a higher uh, higher point in their priority list. Yeah, I, th- I think you'd be able to. When you call the Bank of America, I, th- I think you could ask for a manager. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, th- I think you could like yeah. ri- go higher than whoever picks up the phone the first time to get this information. That's right. Uh, but they and the banks would be qu- quick to do it. Is there any reason they'd be like, no, no, we can't share. Like, are they like the art world where they're like, no, 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 we can't share that information. Well, I think it depends on the bank. It depends on uh, whether you've got a, a, a bank with a partisan uh, board. Right. Hopefully they're, they're not, and they act swiftly and uh, with respect for the law and the, and the subpoena and the, Congress that issued the subpoena and uh, and have a respect for the Constitution that allows for the process. But it's still going to be right. I, mean, I hope it's not, but it's still going to be up. Oh, here's money that went to here. Here's a dot and here's a dot and here's a dot. Hey, everyone, connect the dots. And if you don't want to connect the dots, then Joe is still going to be able to be like, oh, you crazy Republicans. Well, we're, and, and we're going to follow the fact if the facts show uh, then, then the Judiciary Committee will will proceed from there. But uh, right now, you know, we have we are Article One of the Constitution. Uh, we have certain powers. Uh, we we are not Article Two has the prosecutorial powers, power to put you in jail. Article Three is the Judiciary. Uh, they have the the power to to try the case, uh, and so. In Article One, uh, we we can't just put the president in jail. Our power with regard to the president is impeachment, and that's a political process, inherently political. So, uh, removal of the president from office is 
is what the the power involves, and uh, that's only after he's uh, convicted of high crimes or misdemeanors. Um, so, my la- my last question for you, Congressman: uh, What do you say to people listening now who are very frustrated at uh, Republicans for not doing enough, for not speaking out enough, for not being vocal enough, for not moving fast enough? There's a lot of frustration amongst conservatives. What do you say? Um, I, we share that, and the Freedom Caucus shares that frustration. We are pushing our leadership to move as aggressively as possible. Um, but, the, you know, for, there aren't 218, which is half of the House, 218, a majority of the House Freedom Caucus members in the House. There are just enough of us uh, to, to be able to push on leadership. We have one who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee and Jim Jordan, and uh, others of us are on appropriations. We're making sure that we uh, move these uh, appropriations bills in a way that holds this administration accountable, and we'll continue to do that. Congressman Ben Klein from Virginia on appropriations, budget, and judiciary. Some, some big, important ones, and we're glad you're there. Thanks, Congressman. Hey, thank you. Have a great day uh, from Virginia. There. How about that? So, uh, hey, subpoena, give us the documents. No, I'm not going to. Fine, you're in contempt of Congress. Okay. What do you mean, okay? What's the big deal? Oh, we're going to prosecute you. Who's going to prosecute me? You are. Merrick Garland, find Merrick Garland. Charge him with contempt of... Charge charge him with contempt of Congress. Charge who? You. Charge you. There's an Abbott and Costello bit here. You, Merrick Garland, charge you, Merrick Garland, with contempt of Congress. That, uh, that threat doesn't seem to be <laughs> seem to be that compelling of one, alas. I am so impatient with all this. I'm so impatient. I'm American made. I got American Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. If you subscribe to SiriusXM, you get the full podcast, of course. We talk to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, and we also talk to Frances Martel, who's the Breitbart News World Editor, all about the United Nations. And she's like, every time, it blows my mind with stuff she knows. Like, like, what, like She mentioned some war I've never heard of that's going on right now. So she's awesome. That's all on the SiriusXM app. Tomorrow, at the end of the show, as we do every Friday, we're going to talk to Alex Marlowe about his new book. Mike Slater, spread the word. I want to apologize